Hello. Wow, Memorial Weekend crowd. I'm impressed. I didn't even know if I was going to come tonight. And so <laughs> I'm impressed. Um, if you need a Bible, um, in this church we have lawyers pass them out just in case there's any issues. And so anyone need a Bible? Right over here. No shame in your game right there. I, I've said it before. A um, couple things. We don't teach from the Bible. We teach the Bible. So you want it in your hand. You also want it in your hand so you can see the words so you know I'm not making it up. Okay, so you want to see the text tonight. We're going to be in a um, well-known section of scripture, but I want to, in the time we have, perhaps pull out some elements that we haven't seen before. And so if you've got your Bible in your hand, if you can open up to Luke chapter 4, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 4. I don't do this often. It's actually kind of customary. I don't do it that often, but I'm going to do it tonight, actually. I'm going to read through our whole passage, then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into it. A lot of times I like to come and just jump in, but I really want to see. I don't want to necessarily just walk us through it. Um, I want us to see the whole thing in some, and then I want to go back and then and put it together for us. Um, and so let me get my technology all situated, and let's read. We're going to read the first 13 verses. So Luke 4, 1 through 13, and then I'll pray and then I will get us going. It says, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan. So he was just baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil taking him up high on a mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give to you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord, your God and him only you shall serve. Then he, the devil brought him, Jesus to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself from here for it is written. And then he quotes Psalm 91, but he leaves bits out. It says, for it is written, he shall give you, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's pray. Jesus, as, uh, as, as, as John mentioned, as we've been mentioning for this series, um, and Holy Spirit specifically you, would you make this series, would you allow me to teach in a way, in a way for all of us, in a way to learn so that this would be focused on you, not the schemes, but the Savior, not the works of the devil, but the promises of God. Holy Spirit, would you enable us to see, to be aware of these schemes, to be aware of the tactics, but to even more so be aware of he who has overcome them. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that by your power that we would be able to hear from you tonight through the teaching of your word. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. Have your way with us tonight for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Our series is entitled Schemes. This comes from 2 Corinthians 2.11, which says that we are called so that Satan might not outwit us. We are called for we are not unaware We are called to not be unaware of his schemes. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant. It's a militant term. Your translation may say be on guard or stand fast. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about 
like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I actually want to start with three theoretical questions. And I want a little kickback. I want a little back and forth. So I want to hear some of your answers. I have mine. Okay, this is one of those times where truth is relative, but I do think my answers are the best. But I want to see... Um, so your opinion counts. It's just not as good as mine. Okay. And so on these, I want a little bit of feedback on this. I want to set up three theoretical questions. The first one is this. It's summer, right? As of tomorrow. Yes. Pools are opening. Yes. Right. Even in California where we think we pay for the weather yet, we don't swim year round. Okay. But we're opening it. We're in summer now, aren't we? And I want you to believe that you're, I want you to think that you're at a pool and you see a toddler walking pretty quickly. You're at a distance. You're on the other side of the yard. And that toddler is walking pretty quick toward the ledge of that pool. Now you jump up in theory. If you could have the running ability of anyone in history, who would it be in that moment? The running ability of anyone in history, who would it be? Carl. I love the Carl Lewis, right? Love that. Usain Bolt. All opinions are valid. Yours and mine are just right. Okay. And so I would go with Usain Bolt. Would you not? Everyone know who Usain Bolt is? If you don't, it's because you haven't seen him. He's too fast. Okay. He's arguably the fastest person to ever walk the earth. All right. Second theoretical question. You're asked to take a half court shot for a million bucks. Let's go 10 million. You're asked to take a half court shot. Whose shooting ability would you want? We're in California, right? Who said Jordan? I'm from Chicago, right? I was more of a Pippin guy, but I dug Jordan too, you know, because he sort of like won everything for us. And so all opinions are valid, but Curry is the right answer, okay? (laughs) The man is arguably the best shot the league has ever seen, not to mention the fact that he consistently hits half-court shots. It's ridiculous. He lives in a different world. The hoop is the size of a room for him. It really is. So we would what? Mimic Steph Curry. If you knew that you were about to be physically attacked at some point this week, coming from your office, coming from the mall, okay, you were going to be physically attacked in the parking lot this week. This is a tougher one, even for me. Whose fighting ability would you wish you had? Bruce Lee's a good one. Someone said Chuck Norris. (laughs) Chuck is a good dude. He doesn't do push-ups. He just pushes the world down, by the way. Okay, and so I I looked it up. I would probably go with Andrew Silva. Okay, anyone watch UFC? I don't really, but he is arguably the greatest UFC person. So whether you're talking, talking on your feet with your hands, you're talking on the ground. Most fights end up on the ground anyways. With legs, jiu-jitsu, boxing. The man has a record beyond belief in the UFC. I would arguably say I'd probably go with Andrew Silva. Maybe you say Mike Tyson, right? But the point being, when the stakes are high... In theory, you would want to mimic the best, yes? When the stakes are high, you would want to mimic the best. Unfortunately, the schemes of Satan are not theoretical. And so it's fun to play in theory, but it's tough to fight in reality. And so unfortunately, the schemes of Satan are not theoretical. They are, in fact, real and we will face them. We saw that last week. Christianity is not a playground. It is a battleground. But fortunately, the promises of Jesus are not theoretical either. And they are real and they are efficacious. And so last week we took a look at the lie. Our first scheme that we set up to be unaware of the schemes of Satan. We set up the lie and we went all the way back to Genesis three, where everything went south. We took a look at the lie that Satan believed that got him kicked out of heaven. It was the same lie that he slithered into the garden and had Adam and Eve believe, which got them kicked out of the garden and broken fellowship. And the lie was that they could be like God. And so if you weren't here last week, encourage you to go online, take a look at that. It sets the backdrop really for everything because everything spurs from that lie from Genesis three until right now that lie has been permeating all of human history. 
is that we can be God. We can be the center of truth. We can be the arbiters of truth. Convinced our first parents of the same, and we've been convincing ourselves of the same ever since. And so tonight we unpack the second. There was the lie, and then there is the temptation. And so tonight is the temptation, which is why we read through Luke 4, 1 through 13, if you're just joining us. Now I want to set this up in the positive right away. You need to know this. Jesus is unmatched and undefeated. This was not a defeat. That was willful submission. Jesus took a beating once and he'll never take it again. Jesus is unmatched and undefeated. I want to say this, that temptation itself is not sin. But I need you to know that all sin begins with temptation. Temptation itself is not sin. How do we know that? Because it says that Jesus himself can sympathize with us because in all ways he was tempted, yet without sin. He was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. He never crossed the line. He never crossed the line. I've told you, I've, or I haven't told you, but I've, I've been asked to speak on various purity issues, you could say, dating issues, relational issues, pornography. I've been asked to speak on these topics in various groups at other churches and high schools and different community groups, and I never teach on purity. I teach on what we're going to talk about tonight, which is regeneration and a relationship with Jesus. I want to get to the root. I don't want to simply trim the branches. I want to get to the root. And so you need to know that Jesus is unmatched, undefeated. By the way, Satan is not Jesus's opposing equal. I want you to know that as well. He is a real literal enemy. As we said last week, his job is not to annoy you. It's to destroy you. And he has minions. He has a third of the fallen angelic realm helping him, but he is not God. He cannot be at all places at all times. So when you say, man, I really feel like I'm under the, the, the scheme of, of Satan himself. Chances are, it's just a demon. It's not the devil. He can only be in one place at one time. And on this day, he chose to be next to Jesus. Jesus is unmatched, undefeated. If you're wondering who Satan's opposing equal is on the battleground, it's the archangel Michael. Jesus is the king that sits above the whole thing. And so this is really a pathetic display of a created creature standing before creator God and attempting temptation with him. Tempted in every way, yet without sin. But we do know that temptation is not sin, but all sin begins with temptation. It says in James 1.15, then when desire, he's speaking about this, desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when fully grown, brings forth death. It sets it sets a trajectory. Temptation is the launch pad for sin, which then trajects you toward death. But tonight, I don't want to spend the majority of the time. We're going to unpack this text and we're going to do it pretty quickly. Get your seatbelts on. But what we're going to do is I want to convert temptation into attention. I want you to take temptation and convert it to attention. You're going to hear that a lot. You're going to come up on temptation. And by the way, I've said this before, when you step up to that line, the first and foremost thing that I want you to think about when you are tempted, and I preach this to junior hires and I'll preach it to the sunshiners group the same. It doesn't matter how old you are. We've all stood on that line and had to make a decision. I need you to know that Jesus stands right next to you and says, I have been here. He's not back there saying, don't do it. It looks scary over there. He says, Mark, I've been here. I know what this feels like. I never went here, but I do know this. And so when you stand there in temptation, this is why that cheesy saying, it's not a religion, it's a relationship starts to actually make sense. I hate bumper stickers. Don't put them on your car, but it starts to make sense. This is him standing there and saying, Mark, I know what this feels like. Shane, I know what this feels like. Mark, I know what this feels like. Amanda, Chris, everyone, I know what this feels I've never been here, but I've been here. No false God of any false religion teaches that God. He says, I've been here. It's the first thing I want you to think of when you're tempted 
is not the temptation. It's not the scheme of Satan. It's the fact that Jesus stands there and says, I know. I was tempted in every way. Some of us have never thought about that. Jesus was tempted to think sexually about a woman, though he didn't. You think he just went around not thinking women were pretty? Crazy. But he didn't lust. He was tempted to be angry for the wrong reasons. We see when he was angry for the right reasons, he never lashed out in anger unrighteously. But he wanted to. At times he was tempted to. And I want him to become that real for you. Is that he stood there on that line. Said, I know what this feels like. Tempted in every way. Yet without sin, that's why Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. We don't have a fake God that says, I've never been there. Don't do it. It says that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all ways was tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. And so I want us to convert our attention from the temptation to the attention of our Savior tonight over and over and over and over. And it starts when you're on that line and you're probably on a line in some way, shape or form tonight. I know I am. I've crossed that line several times this week. But the most assuring, comforting, powerful thing you can do on that line is convert your attention from the, trend, from the temptation into attention to Jesus who stands next to you. And so I want to unpack this and we're going to see some things and we're going to, again, focus on what Jesus has done, not what we want to do. We've got a lot to get through, but it starts with this. And it says, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you guys know who that is? It's a redheaded stepchild in the American church. He is the most humble servant, okay? The Holy Spirit. In fact, I went back to a previous study And if you've never done a study on the Holy Spirit, I would highly encourage you to, because just as I talk about the personhood of Jesus, you need to know that the Holy Spirit is every bit a person. He's not a supernatural force as cults teach. Though he was never incarnate, neither was the father. He is in fact a person in a triune God. And he is every bit as personal. And most of us, myself included, before the first time I taught on this, had never done an actual study. We're not going to do the whole thing, but I want to give you an overwhelming list of the things that the Holy Spirit does specifically. Because how many, if I ask you right now, give me three things specifically the Bible says the Holy Spirit can do. I'm going to give you like 25. I certainly couldn't at the point. I'm like, I think he like, I think he helps, right? (laughs) It says, the Bible says he's a helper. And we're like, ah. And we're not sure. Let me, I want to focus specifically because within the triune God, we know that there's functional submission. Sorry to say the father didn't die on a cross for your sins. Neither did the Holy Spirit. They have separate but equal roles. It's a picture of the family. Husband's not greater than the wife, but he has a separate role than the wife. Yes. And the wife to the husband and the children to the parents. It's a beautiful picture. And so specifically the Holy Spirit enables access to God. And if you want the Bible verses, if you're like, oh, I don't think so, come, I'll text them to you. And it says access to God, that the Holy Spirit anoints for service, that he assures us that he himself authored scripture. Jesus didn't write the Bible. The Holy Spirit did. A couple interesting facts in relation to Jesus. You'll see. It says that he baptizes. Without that, it's just a guy throwing water on a kid's head. It's kind of weird. Right? I come from Lutheran tradition. We actually baptize infants. And it's really just a guy slapping water on a kid's head. It's kind of barbaric if the Holy Spirit isn't doing something. Okay? Kid usually cries. It's a massacre. Freaking out, you know, two weeks old. Ah! You know, or they're sleeping and passed out. It says, by the Holy Spirit, believers are born. The Holy Spirit calls and commissions. He cleanses. He convicts of sin. He creates. He empowers. He fills. He gives gifts. He glorifies Christ, by the way. That's the, that's the peak of his ministry. It's the glorification of Jesus. If you love Jesus, it's because the Holy Spirit has driven you to love Jesus. It says that he guides in truth, that he helps our weaknesses, that he indwells believers. That's the definition of a Christian. When your friends ask you, so what does it mean to be a Christian? Don't spit out a bunch of rules. Don't spit out, well, I go to church on Sunday and I, I even believe it, uh, believing in Jesus, I, I get it, but so do the Mormons. They just believe in the wrong Jesus. 
We are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. That defines a Christian. So when we say Jesus is in my heart, you love the kids. You're like, yeah, it's so cute. Go outside. You're actually wrong. But like, like Jesus is physically like in a glorified body. Jesus is in heaven. Now his spirit is translated to us. How? How does Jesus' spirit live in our heart? Via the Holy Spirit. See how that works? Jesus isn't actually in your heart. He's literally in heaven right now, sharpening his sword, if you read Revelation. Okay, and so it says he helps in our weaknesses. He indwells believers. He inspires prayer. Have you ever been inspired to prayer? That was the Holy Spirit. That was him personally moving in you. He intercedes. He interprets scripture. My role as a a pastor is not to interpret scripture. It's to submit to the Holy Spirit who interprets scripture. I'll tell you for years now, I've never, this sounds like pharisaical. I've never, I haven't prayed. I haven't spoken to Jesus before a sermon in years. I speak to the Holy Spirit, right? I speak directly to him. My prayer back there every Sunday is directly with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't negate the father. It doesn't negate Jesus, but it says, You are the one that authored scripture. Therefore, you are the one who interprets scripture. You are the one that is indwelled in me and that will glorify Christ through me. So I pray to him specifically. He leads, he liberates, he molds character. He produces fruit. He empowers believers. He raises from the dead. You need to know that Jesus did not raise himself from the dead. The Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. Jesus died. And the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. He is the one that regenerates us. He sanctifies us. He seals us. He strengthens us. He teaches us. He testifies of Jesus. He gives us victory over flesh and he enables worship. And so that is who we are talking with. And let's be honest. It says, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. If you're like me at some point in your life, you've come across the temptation conversation. Maybe you're not as flagrant as me, but in the back of your head, you thought Jesus cheated because he's God, right? He never sinned. You're like, well, yeah, he's God. You yell that every Sunday night, right? He's God. Of course he didn't. How many of you realize that in the hypostatic union, as he was fully God, but fully man, he didn't always avail himself to his divinity. He took naps, but then calmed the storm. Now, those are times where you saw he was human. He was tired. He took a nap, like was legit about naps. Like just poof, whole storm. Couldn't wake him up. He was passed out, tired as fully man. They got him up and said, we're going to die. And then creator said, stop. And he availed himself to his divinity as creator. And then he went back to sleep. And so there are times where he availed himself, but he rarely availed himself to his divinity. But how many of you thought that Jesus cheated? You didn't put it in those words, but you're like, of course he didn't sin. He was God. Like we, we have full revelation. We know that, but you need to know that Jesus overcame temptation because he was filled with the Holy spirit, fully man tempted yet indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And so he was able to overcome temptation. Again, was he man and God when he died? Yes, but it wasn't that he availed to his Godhood to raise himself from the dead. It's that he relied on the Holy Spirit who then raised him from the dead. And all he's doing is like a good coach that goes on the run with you. He says, I'll show you what life should look like as a Christian. If you bear my name, I'll show you before I ask you to do it. And so he's indwelled with the Holy Spirit, which means we are then indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Then he relies on the Holy Spirit. He is guided. It says that he was led by the Spirit. Jesus wasn't like, hey, get behind me. You're third person in the Trinity. Get back, get back there. Holy Spirit at that moment is now leading him and guiding him and indwelling with him. So Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. Probably gonna go long, we're already at 20 minutes. But check this out. And it says this, I want to talk about regeneration real fast. I want to show you the Old Testament and the New Testament, how the Holy Spirit comes in and works on your heart. Some of you don't, haven't realized that the Holy Spirit is in the Old Testament, that Jesus is ever present in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 36, we're going to go 23 through 28. I want to show you as he's speaking, as the prophet is speaking to Israel, who has massive heart issues. He says, and I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes, for I will take you from among the nations, gather you 
from all the countries and bring you into your own land, then I will sprinkle you with clean water, foreshadowing that the Holy Spirit would be baptizing Jesus in the Jordan. He says, which is the chapter before we're reading right now in four. He says, then I will sprinkle you clean clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. I will give you, listen, listen, you standing on that line. I want you to look to your right, to your left. I want you to see that Jesus is there standing there saying, I know what this is like. And I want you to remember the Holy Spirit's promise says, I will give you a new heart and put my spirit, my new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Says I will put my capital S spirit within you and not ask you to walk in my statutes. It says the Bible, Ezekiel, Old Testament says, I will cause you to walk in my statutes. See, we rely on him for that drive, not ourselves with him to the side. It says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep predicated on the spirit. You will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. He says, it's the Holy Spirit that defines God's people. It's right there in Ezekiel 36, 23 through 28. Titus 1, 7 one, one through seven says, remind them to be subject to rulers. So now we're going to go old test or new Testament. It says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities. That's Republican or Democrat, by the way, it says to obey and to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one in the original language, though. Don't worry. No one actually means actually it still means no one, but it says to be peaceful, Republican or Democrats, but it says be to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men in the original language, all means all. Um, and it's the Bible's actually not that hard. And then it says, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, obedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of our God and our savior toward us appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our savior, then having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I had to spend that much time on the very first verse because it says Jesus, God was filled with the Holy spirit, God, and he was led by him. You need to know that that is the propulsion for Jesus's ability to overcome temptation. As man, he was tempted, indwelled with the Holy Spirit, he overcame. And we are fallen and we are broken. And the Bible says that we can quench, we can, we can squash out the Holy Spirit's influence on us. We're pretty good at it. I proved that again this week, as maybe you did as well. But it doesn't mean that we're not indwelled with him. This is where it becomes a reliance rather than our defiance in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so it says this. And so does that make sense that Jesus is on that line with you? It says, then Jesus, and he's right there on that line. As you look at him and you say, you've been here. How'd you do it? And he said, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. How do I do it? Guess what? Just be filled by the Holy Spirit. It's not just like it's easy. It's tough. We make it tough, don't we? But he says, I've been here and I've shown you that it's reliance on the Holy Spirit. That's what I want to be radically transforming in your walk from this day forward. I want you in those temptation moments. I want you to declare the name of Jesus, but I want you to tap into the person of the Holy Spirit. I want you perhaps for the very first time to have a conversation with him specifically tonight. Him. He'll glorify Jesus through it. You don't have to worry about that, but you tap into the person of the Holy Spirit and the work that he wants to do in and through you to the glory of Jesus. And the Bible says the father sent the son and the son sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came to glorify Jesus who came to do the will of the father. It's like the greatest author wrote this story. I couldn't have come up with that. Father says the son, the son sends the spirit. The spirit glorifies Jesus and Jesus came to do the will of the father. It's amazing. And so Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan was led by the spirit into the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward they had, when they had ended, he was hungry. Anyone surprised he was hungry? Anyone fasted? 
Done fasting? I have. How long do we go? Seven days. I did a week. Right? And you're like a monster. Like day two, it's actually weird. Like three, four, actually the hunger goes away. Your body goes into, it goes into like hyperprotective mode and your hunger actually kind of goes away if you believe it. But like a couple days without food, like I've gone a week, I've never gone 40 days. By the way, this is physiologically on the brink of death. Your body can go about three minutes without air, about three days without water, about 40 days without food. Jesus was on the brink. He was frail and entirely vulnerable. And what you're going to see in this section as, as we attempt to convert our temptation into attention, that no one has ever been tempted to this degree. Anyone here spent 40 days by themselves, period, even with food? Maybe some, maybe some. Chances are not really. And we would have a lot of food and all we would do is eat, right? What do you can do for 40 days by yourself? Like, I don't know, is there a sushi joint around? I don't know, I'll do it. Anyone spent 40 days by themselves without food? Anyone spent 40 days by themselves without food, but with the devil himself? If you have, I have questions. We'll talk afterwards. Chances are, I'm not making light of it, but chances are none of us, we like to think we're in the middle of the greatest trial in all in human history. And Jesus says, it's not to the degree to which I have been tempted. I've been through worse. And I overcame in the flesh By the power of the Holy Spirit, I overcame. So we're going to see that Jesus was tempted to a greater degree. Jesus was tempted with more at stake, by the way. When the devil tempts us, he tempts us with sin. When he tempted Jesus, he attempted to break the entire salvific framework for all of eternity. That doesn't rest on, gentlemen, your porn. Ladies, your porn. Gentlemen, your anger. Ladies, your materialism. He's tempting you with a sin. He was tempting Jesus with breaking the entire salvific framework forever. We haven't been tested in this degree. We haven't been tempted with more at stake. And Jesus always overcame full of the Holy Spirit. You can't look at him and say, oh coach, but you don't know. He says, I do. I've been there and I did it on steroids compared to what you're looking at. It's not to minimize it, but at the same time, it's totally meant to minimize it, okay? You down with that? I'm down with Jesus minimizing me so that maximize him, yeah? Tough times, I get it. But pales in comparison to what Jesus has proven is possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what you're gonna see is that he's going to tempt him with three categories, comfort, power, and approval. These aren't all the buckets, but these are probably the three biggest because it says that the day, the, we know that the devil's giving his, his A game. He's, he's trying out for varsity at this point. He's going to come at him with everything he has and he, he tempts him ultimately with comfort, power, and approval. It says this, and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. It says you're uncomfortable right now. Devil knowing he's fully human in this moment. The devil had met Jesus before. Most of us haven't in that eye to eye sense. The devil knew who he was dealing with. Demons, when they run to him in the New Testament, they fall on their face. Why? Because they know who Jesus is. They know that he created them and he can destroy them. It's not a fair fight. But he says, you're hungry, comfort. Everyone with a body knows the desire for comfort. Do we not? I've, I've, I've argued in the past that in California, you talk to different pastors, you, you talk to pastors around the nation, different regions struggle with different things. In LA, Tim Chaddock would say sex. In Seattle, Furtick may say the non-gospel. In the South, a guy like Chandler may say um, the assumed gospel. Everyone thinks they know it, but they don't. In Manhattan, Tim Keller would say power and work. In DC, they would say power over people. All these different things. I would say in Southern California, LA, we're a little different, right? Everyone's like, we're totally different than LA. We, we, we focus on comfort and TO in the 805, like crazy. Like it's an idol. And I'm not just talking about physical comfort. I'm talking about spiritual and mental and emotional and financial. It's not just a physical appetite. And Satan appealed to Jesus with the human desire for comfort. He says, why should you, the son of God, be hungry for even a minute? You should have your needs met. It implies that either Jesus is not God's son or that God doesn't really care. And so the temptation that I want to convert into attention is the belief that we're going to have our needs, that if we are going to have our needs met, that we have to then do it ourselves. 
that God will not ultimately satisfy our deepest longings, but if that we just try harder and turn stones, if you will, into bread, we'll be satisfied. And the older folks in the room will say, I've been trying that my whole life and I could tell the young kids it doesn't work. And the young kids are like, I don't know, I'm still gonna try it because that's what the young people do. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, okay, we'll see. And so destructive, Satan knows that our desires will never be met by the things of this world. And so to combat this temptation, we convert it into attention on the one who satisfies. Philippians 4.19 says, and my God shall supply all of your all of your need according to the riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And so he offers him first comfort. And Jesus answered him and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus says, it's about more than earthly comfort. It's about the satisfaction in the eternal God. The big number two, as he goes into power, he says, then the devil taking him up on the high mountain showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for it has been delivered to me, which is a lie. And I will give it to whomever I wish. He says, you can have this without the cross. That's what the devil is saying. And he promises him power and Satan taps the human desire for power and for control. And he's saying to Jesus and he's saying to us, don't wait and work in the will of God. Go get it yourself. And the temptation is to believe that we have to go get power for ourselves. And it's entirely destructive because he knows that we can't obtain enough to satisfy the world's richest people are some of the most unhappy people statistically the world over. With divorce after divorce after divorce, with depression after depression after depression, it doesn't satisfy, so they press on. That's why Jesus made a joke. He said, a rich man getting into heaven is like trying to take this slobby, nasty camel and putting him through the pin of a needle. He's making a joke. He was a funny guy. He said, it's going to be hard, not because it's harder for them to be saved, but because they're so clinging to the things of the world. So to combat this temptation, to convert it into attention, instead of seeking the power over people to do our will, we convert it into the attention to the one who empowers us to do his will. Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And he says, therefore, if you worship me, he says, verse seven, if you worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He came at him with comfort. He came at him with power as he comes after you with comfort and you with power, with me, with comfort and power. Then he throws this one. He throws approval at Jesus Verse nine, he says, then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here and basically do a swan dive from the temple and show everyone that the angels will swoop in and stop you. You know what he's saying? Modern translation, 27 days says, Jesus, do something awesome. Do something epic in front of everyone. Do that. All those people are looking, do something so cool. Build a business so radical. Get such amazing grades. Get such a big paycheck. Get such a big retirement. Have such an amazing portfolio that people will be like, wow, that guy's in tap with God. And approval. He says, show him something, Jesus. Swan dive it, stage dive it. This is your concert. Go. Let people see that you're tapped into the power of God. The angels will swoop down and save you. Satan taps that human desire to do something awesome, saying to Jesus and to us, if you want approval, do something spectacular for others to see. The temptation is to believe that we must obtain approval from the world, which is so destructive because he knows if we're built up by the approval of the world that we can be broken down by the disapproval of the world, which is sure to come. And so to combat this temptation, to convert it into attention, 
of the one in whom we are approved. It says Luke 3.22, it says, the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form like a dove upon him. That's Jesus. And a voice came from heaven which said, you, you want to know who, who approves, who Jesus or who God the Father approves of? You want to know what the approval standard is? He showed up as Jesus was being baptized by the Holy Spirit, the Trinity in perfect unison in this moment. The Holy Spirit is baptizing Jesus. Jesus is coming up from the Jordan and God the Father speaks and he says, you, Jesus, are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. How do I please God? God says, in him, I am pleased. So then how do I please God? Colossians 2.10 says, for in him dwells all in the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. That's why the Bible over and over hundreds of times in the New Testament says we're in Christ. It uses Christian term like two or three times. This is not a title we hold. It is something that we are in and someone whom we are in. And so instead of seeking the approval of the world, we seek the approval of the one who has made us approved. And we are in him. Therefore, God the Father is pleased by us because we are in his son. As I said last week, we've taken off our robe of wickedness. We've put on our robe of righteousness and that's Jesus's robe. We are now seen through the lens of Jesus, not our sin. And so the application is, which one of these do you struggle with the most? I'll tell you mine, power, of course. I'm not on church staff, and the church staff has dealt with me several times trying to accumulate and distribute power. And I say that with my senior pastor in the building. I say that coming off recent problems, humbly before you. This pulpit doesn't mean I struggle any less. I like power. Bible tells us the power from God causes you to love other people. Power from the world causes you to want to control other people. I, a lot of times want to control other people, make them more like me, make them do things like me. But which one is it for you? Is it comfort? See, I don't really care much for comfort. I kind of make a life out of not being comfortable. I didn't join the Marine Corps because it was cool or like fun or easy. I wanted to go to Iraq and see something ridiculous. I like winter. I'm from Minnesota. I've been in negative 50 and just thought like, yes, I'm weird. And then I go to Death Valley the same year. I'm like, this is awfully, terribly hot. I'm fine with it. I'm fine. I'm, I'm, not a com- I'm not driven by comfort. I'm seriously not. I'm not really much driven by approval, as you can tell. I really don't care. Some of you try to get me to care what you think about me, and you realize he doesn't care. But power for me, that's a huge Achilles. For you, is it more comfort? Is it more power? Is it more approval? Where are you tempted to pursue earthly comfort of your own accord? Where are you tempted to pursue earthly power on your own accord? Where are you tempted to pursue earthly approval of your own accord? Is it your relationships? Is it your finances? Is it your school? Is it your grades? Is it your career? Is it with your employees? Is it with your employer? Is it with your spouse? Is it with your kids? Is it with your pastor? Is it with your family, with your friends? You gotta get introspective. You gotta let the Holy Spirit come in and cleanse as he says that he will and convict as he says that he will, but glorify Jesus in the process as he says he will. And then he comes in and he says this, the third in verse nine, he said that he came in and he said, do something awesome. And Jesus said, verse 12, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus says, I don't test God, I trust him. Jesus himself, who is God, is showing us the life that we would live before God as our forerunner. People are like, what does it look like to be a Christian? I don't know, study the only one that pulled it off. Right? Let that one sink in for a second. Study the only one. So study the only one. The cool theoretical questions we did that were super fun, those guys are still fractured, still broken. Jesus came and lived it perfectly. You want to know what the Christian life looks like? Study Jesus Christ's life. Not mine. Don't, don't study mine. Study his. And then be encouraged that our lives would look more like his, not your pastors, not your parents, not your kids, not your role model, not your mentor, not your CEO, not your boss, not your professor, that your life would look more like his. And I want to show you this in terms of Jesus overcoming. I want to know that, that at the core of this temptation, of course, is deception, Satan did it over and over. He said, if you are the son of God, the authority I will give to you over and over and over. And Jesus responds with what? It's written. 
You're standing on that line with temptation. I need you to know that it is a person first and foremost standing next to you that can empathize with you. It is a person who indwells in you that you have a relationship with that you can speak to and rely on in the Holy Spirit. I need to know that one of the weapons that Jesus and the Holy Spirit who authored it hands you. That's why the Bible is referred to as a sword. One of the weapons that he gives you, thank goodness the Marine Corps didn't just train me to hit people with my fist and say, good luck in Iraq. I said, by the way, here's a rifle to help. Right? They, they equipped me with modern warfare equipment. Jesus came, I will equip you with eternal warfare equipment. I'll give you the Bible. And Jesus simply stands there and says, have you not read? It's written. It's written. It's written. I'm sorry, he, he said, have you not read with the Pharisees? With the devil, he said, it is written. See, the devil misrepresents the word and the will and the heart of God. The temptation is to doubt the word and the will and the heart of God. It sounds like this. If God really loved me, I wouldn't be going through this. You've not just believed a lie. You're now being tempted into distorting the word and the will and the heart of God for you. If God really loved me, I would have more of X, Y, and Z. Money, friends, power, status, approval, job, salary, kids, family members. I would have more. If God really cared for me, my school, my work, my marriage wouldn't be so hard. If God really cared for me or he really had my back, I wouldn't have lost my job. If I was really a daughter of God, I would feel more important. If I was really a son of God, I would have more power. This is the temptation that he wants. He wants us to go from that temptation into the sin of distrusting God is who he said he is, that he cares for us in ways that he says he'll care for us, and that he can do what he says he can do with us. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew the word and the will and the heart of God. He said, I don't need bread. The father satisfies our deepest desires. He said, I don't need earthly power. My father is the one true God in heaven. He says, I don't need to show off. I don't test God. I trust him. And he constantly refers to this. And he goes back, even when Satan, who by the way, knows the Bible, and we think we're going to beat him not knowing the Bible, Satan knows the Bible and he quotes it. How many of you could quote Psalm 91 off the top of your head on a mountain while standing next to Jesus? Satan knows. My question to you is how can you know what God has said if you haven't read what he's written? People are like, I wish I could hear from God. I'm like, cool. Well, while you're waiting for that, try reading the book, right? This is a love letter. This is the single greatest love letter ever written to a people. It's not 66 books. It's one book in 66 chapters about how God created everything perfectly and we broke it. And so he sent in himself, his son on a cosmic rescue mission to get us back. And just as he came to us in the garden and just as he came to us on the cross, the Bible says that in Revelation, he's gonna come back for his people again. The cross was thousands of years ago. The gospel hasn't ended. It's been complete. It's signed, it's sealed, it's delivered, but it's not over yet. It's active and it's ongoing. And we know that it's a battlefield and in that battlefield, you will be shot at. You will face the lies of the devil that we can be like God rather than that we are loved by God. You will feel the temptation to seek comfort, power, pleasure, lust, anger, greed, checks, portfolios, 75 and sunny year round. We'll sacrifice so many things on the altars of those. Jesus says, be satisfied at the deepest level by the one true living God. So when we're tempted to seek satisfaction on earth, I want us to convert our attention into satisfaction in Jesus. When we're tempted to seek power on earth, I want us to convert our temptation into attention to the power in Jesus. When we're tempted to seek the approval of those on earth, I want us to convert our attention to the approval in Jesus. Jesus answered him and said, I, you do not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Remember that the devil has limited resources and his time is ticking.
the schemes of Satan are no match for the promises of God. And when you stand on that line, know that Jesus has been there and that the Holy Spirit indwells in you. Rely on him, rely on him. Listen to what God has already said about who you are. Find your satisfaction in him. In that, we then begin to be able to overcome temptation. Amen? All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, to you specifically, who interprets scripture, I pray that now you would interpret the word as taught into the hearts of your people and that all the nonsense that came from me would be discarded and remembered no more, but every nugget that came from you would that be embedded into our scored hearts. You're the only one that can take a speech and turn it into a sermon. We don't come alive to the word. The word is alive and we come alive to it. So Holy Spirit, I pray for a new fire for who you are and what you have done as a humble servant who comes to glorify Jesus. But Holy Spirit, I pray now as we go into this extended time of of prayer and worship that as Jesus himself was filled by you, how dare we believe that we be anything else but filled by you. Holy Spirit, for the first time, perhaps for many, would you spark a conversation, one-to-one conversation with every child here. And for those who don't know you, Holy Spirit, that are not indwelled by you, I pray that they would say, tonight's the night. Holy Spirit, I want to be indwelled. I want the spirit of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And I want that in me because temptation has been ravishing my life. It has been ravaging my career. It's been ravaging my relationships. It's been ravaging my joy. And Holy Spirit, I want you to fill me so that I have Jesus by my side who's been there and you in my heart who can hold us back. Holy Spirit, would you cause us to walk in God's statutes tonight? Would we be impassioned to have a conversation with you specifically tonight to the glory of Jesus? Amen.